Welcome to About Your Mother. Our next guest is Melanie Spring, a vibrant speaker, approachable badass, and facilitator of personal and brand stories. In this episode, you will learn what it means to own and share your story, which for many of us can be incredibly scary, terrifying, really. Too often we ask ourselves, why would anyone want to hear about that? But it is the ordinary, the struggles and the triumphs that make us who we are. After experiencing a complicated relationship with her mother, something happened. Melanie shared the story of their relationship on stage while her mother listened in the audience. What happens next is pretty cool. We cover a lot of ground in our discussion. Enjoy the listen. Melanie, welcome to About Your Mother, Where Your Story Begins. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I told you, I am so excited to have you because your work is so aligned to my vision for this podcast. Your work in helping people own and share their stories, amplifying their voices and owning their brand. I am so excited to have you on the show. Since it is about your mother, where your story begins, we'd like to begin with a question. And we decided that what is your favorite memory with your mom? My favorite memory with my mom is when I was 25 and she and I got our passports one year for New Year's Eve. We decided at New Year's Eve, we weren't going to lose weight. We weren't going to try to meditate every day or do something really healthy. We decided let's get our passports this year. But little did she know that she basically was like, oh, I'm just getting my passport when I decided we were going to go to London and she was like, no, 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 I'm just getting my pet. That's all I'm doing. I'm just getting it. I'm like, well, then what are you going to do with it? She's like, that's all I wanted was just to get it. I'm like, mom, we're going somewhere with it. So I booked a trip to London that year and we had to celebrate our 25th and 45th birthdays together when we went to London for 10 days. It was oh. 10 full days without siblings or a dad or anybody, just the two of us before, oh. you know, we all had cell phones that could go around the world. <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. So she just wanted to check off, I have a passport, not do the traveling and the freedom that came with having one. That must have been a really special for her too, to kind of take it to the next level. It was, yeah. We realized later that we hadn't really ever done that. We'd never spent just quality time together without someone else being involved in it. And typically that went sideways really quickly, which I'm sure we'll talk about today. But (laughs) being able to spend that time together, we realized we really liked each other, which was interesting. Oh, that is nice. Because when you come from big families, you have uh, three, three and a half siblings, as you say, and Mm -hmm. I do too. Yeah, it's hard to get that one-on-one time with a parent. That's really great that you guys had that experience. Take us through how you came to own your story and what this process was like for you. Oh, how many different places could I start with? <laughs> I know it's a big one. It's a big one. <laughs> it is. Well, I think a lot of it comes down to, I was always struggling to figure out who I was and why I was the way that I was. And I was always going to this thing and that thing and trying to figure out personal development on which part of me needed the most help. And it wasn't until my mom and I quit talking when I was in my early 30s and just stopped talking for two and a half years. Like there was a misunderstanding, a really horrible misunderstanding about something really simple that could have been a conversation, but it allowed us to take some time away from each other. And in that time, I found out that I was judging my mom for judging me when what really happened was I was thinking, well, she won't like me to cut off my hair. She won't like me to wear these kinds of clothes. She won't like it if I got tattoos. She won't like it if I'm not the person that she wants me to be. 
I didn't talk to my father for five years. And sometimes that break can give you something like a, a distance between whatever that conflict was. How did you, when you reunited with your mom, what did that look like? How did you kind of break down those barriers and those beliefs that she, you know, she wanted you to be a certain way? Well, it started with the fact that every time we would be together, something would get kind of swept out from under the rug. So my family has a really solid way of just instead of confronting something and apologizing and working through it, it's if we just put it under the rug, it can just stay there. And then later, you know, the wind blows and everything comes out and it's all thrown in your face. And so I had written her a letter actually on Mother's Day. She got it and called me and said in the letter, it said, if you're interested in leaving the past in the past and moving from here forward, then we can have a relationship. And that's what I want. If you can't, I'm not interested in that. And she called and said, I'm in, which is like on mother's day. (laughs) She called and said that. And so it was a, it was an amazing thing to start looking at. I am me. And every time she would say, I mean, I really liked your hair better that way. I wasn't taking it as you hate my hair. I'm taking it as like, yeah, that's nice, but it's mine and I can do whatever I want with it. So, but it took a big shift for the two of us together to go, I have to accept you as who you are and we can talk about hard things and it's not going to ruin our relationship forever. And we can sit and cry about it and talk through it and take a minute with it and come back to it, but not let it just get swept under the rug again. Because sometimes it's that silence. It's festers. It's like a cancer in families, right? Mm -hmm. In in relationships. Let's talk about your work. How do we get people to own their stories, the messiness and the gooiness and, you know, the good and the bad? What is that? What is that like? Tell us more about that. Well, I help people own their story by taking one step. So instead of saying, okay, well, you have to figure out all your stories and you have to get out there and tell them all and like be super vulnerable, be more authentic, be more you, which a lot of people put that like in your face, be more you. And I'm like, yeah, but most people don't know who they are. And most people haven't had the time or the work or the people in their lives to help them do that. I mean, it can be a bad thing or a good thing that helps you figure that out, but it sometimes just doesn't happen because you don't, you're too busy. You've got work, you've got kids, you've got a family, you've got significant other. You're always helping other people, especially as women. We tend to do this a lot more, (laughs) but being able to really sit with it and confront those stories, it's one step. It's saying, okay, I'm going to find one story that makes me maybe feel a little uncomfortable or gushy or like, this is a little scary. How do I do this? If you take one step into it, like if I was to just share my story of me and my mom, yeah, I could just share the good stuff if I want to. But I could also say, well, you know, it, while we were in London, we were sick for two of those days. And even though we were sick, that's sad, a little sad. We actually ended up watching a lot of British reality TV for those two days. <laughs> and we got a chance to laugh about it while we were sick when we were there. So that's a little story. Like, that's not like, I have to tell you all my stuff, but it's a little story. It's a little tough story. That's also kind of a good story at the same time. So being able to share something like that kind of gives you that permission to start sharing a little deeper or a little, and it's a layering process and it takes time, sometimes a lot longer than others, but it's your story and it's however it wants to come out of you. And it's owning the authenticity of your experience, right? And that totally. nothing, <laughs> this idea, we get so stuck in perfectionism and things have to look and feel a certain way, but that's not interesting, right? It's not. And it also makes you look inauthentic later. I've had conversations with my husband about this where we have friends that, oh, well, I had this horrible thing happen to me two years ago. I was in such a dark, deep place. And we were like, I remember you two years ago. What? What were you hiding? You were were hiding that for how? 
Or like I was making so much money that whole time. And then later you find out they were like broke and, you know, like on the street and all this stuff. And I'm like, that feels so inauthentic now. Like if you had shared that even with close friends and not posted that, like, I'm super rich and I'm super amazing, it wouldn't feel so inauthentic. But when we hold it and we try to put a cover on it, it later shows up and we're like, but then I don't know you now. And I don't even know if I like you anymore. And I, hmm, interesting. Telling me a story that isn't real. Right. Let's be our real selves because that, yeah. that kind of creates that emotional connection that we all have exactly, uh, and, and long for. So let's talk about, I love um, all your videos and on your site and, and Instagram and how you share opening people up and getting them to own their story. And obviously it's, we're in the pandemic, so you're not doing these events right now, but you're doing things online, but walk us through an experience of how you work with somebody to open up and own their story and be confident. <laughs> it's an online course, a 90-day challenge where we have people start with the first chapter of seven where the first chapter is how to figure out how to get your story. So the whole entire idea is go back through your journals and your notebooks and your textbooks from college and like all the little notes you write in the corners of things. And I keep moleskins. So like moleskins are a big deal to me. So making sure that I have like all those, I mean, I have tons of them. So like, I know that all my thoughts are in there somewhere. Maybe it's an Evernote or wherever, or even going back to your family members and saying, do you remember stories about me when I was a kid? Like, how was I? And who was I? And do you have pictures? And do you have like asking other people, even asking ex-boyfriends or girlfriends or humans in your life could tell you a little that might not be great and maybe tell you a little bit of the story of you. But that's typically where a lot of people get stuck. Most people are starting in the judgment zone of, yeah, but my story doesn't really matter because their story is like way bigger than my story. And I'm like, but it's the everyday stories that are the most important, not the (laughs) Olympic skier who was blind. That sounds great. And that's amazing. But like, I don't connect with that. I connect with the everyday story of like, I went through a divorce and I lost a house. Mm -hmm. That stuff is the connection stuff. And so you, there's a story where you were giving, um, you were leading an event, a tech event, and there's about 500 people in the room and your mom's in the audience. Can you share that experience and what happened? (laughs) Yeah, it was the first time I ever shared our story and she happened to be sitting right there. And I knew she was coming because it was her birthday and I was, she wanted to go see the Macy's windows in New York. So we were in Times Square and I was speaking at this huge event. I had my really fancy dress on and everything. And I was basically in a place of how do I share this without one calling her out on being a horrible human? Some of us can do that with our moms and be like, yeah, she was terrible. Like I couldn't believe it. But at the same time, also being really vulnerable and real with our story. Mm -hmm. So I told my end of the story and allowed myself to share my part of it and what that felt like for me and how I was in that. But also because my mom and I had done the work on it. We had been through the ringer for a long time and we had gotten to a good place with each other and allowing myself to share the story of the two of us and how we had not talked to each other and how I figured out who I was and how I started owning my own brand because I, like I said, was judging her for judging me and I was able to start showing up authentically as me. What's crazy is at the end of that, more people came up to my mom and said, thank you. I can see how hard that must have been raising a strong woman as a strong woman. And I have a strong kid at home and it gives me hope. Or I have a better relationship with my mom three years later, thanks to that conversation you shared with us about your mom. That kind of stuff started happening. And like she started seeing how it affected. She doesn't like sharing our story with me. <laughs> She's not, she doesn't want it to be like a public thing. It's going in a book at some point, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. She's very much like, oh, could you not share this one? <laughs> 
But at the same time, she started realizing the effects of how it was helping other people and going, oh, so our story isn't about us. It's about, oh, so she started connecting the two and it made much more sense to her to go, of course I need to. So now she even shares her story with people, which is amazing. Oh, that is so cool. And I so identify with that because here I wrote this mother-daughter memoir. And when I when my mom hears about it, she's like, oh, is that the book where you're complaining about me? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm not complaining about you. I'm celebrating you. So there's two golden nuggets in that. The first one I want to explore is that you end up, you reconnect with your mom. You give this powerful presentation. You start telling your story. Then you start doing the work with her. Mm -hmm. Meaning your work becomes, she's almost like your client in some ways. Yeah. So my mom came to one of my workshops. So I do this thing called the Speak With Confidence Retreat where people get together and we do the work together. Yeah. And she she was at the retreat and doing a meditation at the retreat with one of the people who leads. We do a lot of grounding and a lot of visualization because when people get on stage, they're either scared or, oh my gosh, nobody wants to hear what I have to say. Or like, ah, what am I going to do? What if I forget everything? Like there's all of that stuff in there. So we do a lot of that. And she was at the retreat and started crying while we were doing like, I am loved, I am enough, I'm worthy of this, I'm able to do this. And she started, I watched her start crying. And this is before we all get makeup on and like get on stage and everything. So I'm really glad it was right before that. But yeah, <laughs> we were we were standing there and I looked over at her and I was like, are you okay? And I start holding her, just like letting her cry on me and holding mm-hmm. her. And it was a total swap in mother-daughter stuff. Me being the mama for her, the way that she'd never had it. And she told me that afternoon, she said, I was told by my dad that I would never make anything of myself. My stepdad told me that the day I left when I got married, she said, I'll never, you'll never make anything of yourself. Mm. She said, he's dead now. And I'm still trying to make it not true. Mm. And I never believed, I never had heard, I've never said I am enough. I've never said that to myself. And she ended up getting on stage and crushing it that day, being able to share her story and how she raised us financially and how she was able to help us learn how to save and spend and tithe and all the different things, you know, moms do. Yeah, And it was amazing to be able to sit with her and really hear her story, but also hear even more of, ah, there's more to this story than I originally knew because she's always told stories, but like she didn't tell all the terrible ones about her stepdad saying something like that to her. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot more sense when someone's trying to keep working for something that you don't even know what you're really working for and try to pretend that you're the best at whatever. Yeah. And in reality, it's taking it out on your own kids or you're angry or you're frustrated or whatever that is. Yeah. And she didn't even know it really until that moment, I don't mm-hmm. think. Yeah. So she made that connection and that probably opened the door for you to be empathetic to her experience and whether or not she did some things to you that felt similar, right? Because yeah. trauma unaddressed is trauma transferred. Boom. <laughs> From <laughs> so, parent to kid. So true. Yeah. yeah. So I love this concept because I think some people are really trying to break through the hesitation of telling their real story we just discussed. Tell us more about It's Not About You. I didn't realize I was saying it until someone said, you've said that five times in the last 10 minutes. What do you mean by it's not about you? (laughs) It's like, oh yeah. Because the things we tend to say are the things we need to hear sometimes. Like we teach the thing we need to know the most. Like that's such an amazing reminder to do that. And realizing that my story isn't about me, it's about helping others. And if I'm not doing what I authentically need to do or say, then I'm not helping the people that I need to help. I'm doing a disservice to them. But it also takes the pressure off. Like if you have to get up on stage and share your story and you walk up there with the 
It's not about me. It's for the, oh, that's so nice. I can totally do this. That's easier. Yeah. yeah. It's not about me. You're not in the center of it yeah. without you being the sole person, right? Right. Because it also allows you to get on stage and then go, if I mess up, if I don't do it perfectly, if I don't tell that one story or I forget a part of it, it doesn't matter because it's not about me. I'm not up here because people are like, oh, she's so amazing. It's about the people you're talking to, whether it's one person or an audience of people, you're telling that story for a reason. It's not just because like, well, I'm amazing. So I'm going to tell my story. It's you need to hear this. And I know the right people will hear it because I've told it authentically as me. I love it. Life is about integration. What's Tell me more about that. (laughs) Well, I hear all the time people say life is about balance. And I was like, yeah, but it's always off balance. Like there's never, it's never in balance. Like how do you find the balance? I mean, we've talked about this as I'm not even a mom and it's hard to keep a balance. Like I have a dog. That shouldn't be hard, but having two entrepreneurs in the same house with a dog and like a lifestyle that's all over the place. It's never balance. It's never you're writing enough or working out enough or eating the right healthy food enough or not drinking enough or drinking too much or whatever it is that you're trying to do or not do. It's about the integration of all of those things and how can they be more aligned and moving together and allowed to be woven together in a way that I can get up in the morning and write. I mean, today, I'm just today, I'm going to work 12 solid hours. It's not about, oh, well, I worked and then I worked and worked and worked and worked and worked. I worked and then I did some yoga and then I did some writing. And then I did something <laughs> like it's, I sat down with my husband for lunch for 30 minutes. Th- those kinds of things, it's the integration of them. And it's us choosing how we want our life to be integrated. It's us choosing what thing do I want to say is work versus life. And do I really want to put a clear line on that? Do I have to? Probably not. I could probably wake up on Saturday morning and have the best brainstorm session ever and write a whole bunch of stuff down because I get to. It's not about having to, it's about getting to. Yeah, I get to. I love that so much. And I'm with you on this whole balance thing. I don't know who is telling us that this is possible, but it's not. (laughs) It's not. And we can't work like eight to five and like, you know, go home and have dinner. And especially during the pandemic and whatever that looked like for people, it's changed completely. It has to be about integration. And how do we make it all work together? Yeah, I love that. And I think the more that we hold ourselves accountable to the integration, the happier we are. Mm -hmm. And we can kill that B word. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) please. (laughs) We're not teeter-totter, so we don't need to do that. What's the connection between owning our story and being confident? Because I was watching some of your testimonials of, you know, someone who goes on stage and they're just a little um, nervous and then they're transformed and they're confident. And can you make that connection for us and what that work looks like? Because it's important work. It is really important work. Yeah. Well, the confidence comes from choosing to be confident. And a lot of people ask me, they're like, oh, you've just always been confident. I'm like, you're cute. (laughs) It's a really hard space to be able to, to figure out what that looks like for you. And I think a lot of it comes with, I mean, I talk about walking into a room and saying, you're welcome Mm. in your head, not out loud, because that sounds kind of (laughs) diva-ish, but being able to walk into a room and instead of saying, I'm sorry, you're saying, you're welcome. Like I'm here and I'm a gift and I get to be a gift for you. And I get to be here with you. And I'm giving you the gift of my presence to be here. And when we own that, and when we start owning that and really believing that that's true, I mean, it takes a long time to believe that that's true. If you really don't believe that they're welcome for your presence, but being able to own that confidence and going, I 
am allowed to share me. I'm allowed to share my story and I'm allowed to own my story. I know that it's mine. And if somebody doesn't like it, that's their problem, not mine. I don't have to be for everybody and everyone's not for me. So how can I make sure that I walk into the room and go, you're welcome. I'm allowed to be here and not, I'm sorry, excuse me. Sorry, sorry. Mm." And being more confident in that space. Yeah. Do you try to not say, I'm sorry, because I'm really working on that. I... I cut people off when they say I'm sorry. <laughs> like whenever someone says, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, da, 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 I'm, I write back and I'm like, please don't ever be sorry. No more sorries. No more. Apo-. So it's just the reminder, the constant reminder of do not apologize unless you're actually sorry for something. Like if you did something terrible, please say you're sorry to me. But otherwise, don't apologize every time you walk in or get don't get back to me within five minutes or forget to do something. Don't apologize. Just say, hey, I forgot about that. Here's the thing. Thanks so much for understanding. <laughs> There's a big difference in a shift in apology versus you're welcome. Oh, for sure. And I love this idea of getting rid of I'm sorry, saying you're, you're welcome when you walk in the room, owning your presence. And then also um, Kelly Corgan, she's a great writer, says to just say, not I'm sorry, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Like that's how we, we, we should apologize. Because I think even as women, we say I'm sorry all the time. But it's a throwaway. It's a throwaway apology too. Like, oh, I'm sorry I'm late. I'm like, no, you're not. You didn't actually leave on time. Yeah. You can say, I wasn't (laughs) able to leave on time. (laughs) Like instead of I'm sorry I'm late, that's an easier way to say it, which also makes me feel like you're being more authentically you. Mm -hmm. I couldn't get out of my house. Like my husband was in the bathroom for too long. Like I don't really care. Just don't apologize. Yeah. (laughs) Just be there. Yeah, I'm getting this kind of owning your story thing that your message that you're conveying to people. What would you say your mom would say she learned from you? Oh, man, probably a lot of things. I'm not sure that they're all good. (laughs) Well, that's the nature of mother-daughters, right? Yes, it is. (laughs) I think one of the biggest things she probably learned from me was finally being able to take care of herself. I mean, self-care is something that she never did. And she came home when I lived in DC, she came home back to New York and she said, I went and got a massage. I've never just booked a massage. Yeah. And so I went to do that and I realized that that's really important. That's really important to my well-being to do that. She said, I didn't realize how much you really take care of yourself. I'm not big on I need to go get a mani-pedi or I need to, what I, but I'm really careful that I get my hair done on time because my hair can be a puffy mess and that's not fun for anybody. But I also am really good about going shopping at good places where my clothes stay for a long time. I don't want, I don't want throwaway clothes. I don't want seasonal clothes that I can throw away, but I, it's the investment in me that she was noticing. And I think that that's probably the biggest thing that she's I don't know that she would say that, but I, I feel like that's from what she's told me. That's the biggest thing she's learned from me so far. That's great. Well, hey, and if we can um, teach our moms to take better care of themselves, I think that's a good thing for sure. I'd like her to be around a little longer. Right? <laughs> uh, exactly. Um, your Instagram posts, even just today, uh, where you were talking about your mom's high school story, your dad hitchhiking, mm-hmm. you really celebrate this connection that your ancestors kind of paved the way to who you are and what you have to embrace and accept. Well, I didn't know a lot of my family members. So we had our nuclear family and I don't know most of my cousins. I don't know a lot of my aunts and uncles on either side. I actually don't know the names of any of my cousins on one of the sides of my family. So 
I didn't grow up with a big family in that way. I grew up with our very nuclear, this is our family and this is who we are. And so learning and taking the time to learn about my grandparents. I mean, my grandmother died when she was 97, just two years ago. And I had been sitting with her and asking her questions like, what was your favorite vacation? And I learned when she was 95 that she had been a speaker for most of her career. And I had never known that before. Wow. And so learning those little snippets and little things about their lives. I mean, even my dad living in New York for six months near him, he would tell me stories about him and his brother and like getting a skunk and putting it in the car. And like this whole crazy story about my grandma being so mad at them for bringing a skunk home because my my uncle wanted to sell the skin of the skunk to a fur trader. And I'm like, there were fur traders? Like, wait, and you put the skunk in the car? I'm still stuck at the skunk at that. I know. <laughs> well, it hadn't sprayed yet, but as soon as my uncle picked it up, it sprayed him. And so they were covered in skunk. Like, exactly. But you like, you feel the story, you know, like you can be there in that story. And I knew exactly where that was because it was down the street from where I was living at the time. So I could actually see them in the big old car with the skunk and the whole thing. Yeah. So being able to really hear those stories, I think it's taking the time to ask those questions and Mm -hmm. really hear them because I don't have those stories. I don't get to hear those stories anymore because both of my grandparents on one side are gone. And yeah, but they did pass on to my dad and his family, like how, how am I ever going to hear that? So learning more and more about them and doing the 23 and me stuff and finding out just more about why am I the way that I am? Like, why am I six feet tall? Who in my family? <laughs> We're all really <laughs> tall people, but those little things help us realize who we are and our identity and the stories a lot, a lot to be passed down. Cause they're, I mean, you know this, but families have passed down stories for generations. And then the last couple of generations have lost all of them, or they've been changed because of oppression, or they've been changed because of immigration, or they've been changed because, oh, well, I can't have that last name because I could die. Like mm-hmm. those kinds of things have changed, but like, can we start really learning those stories again? And can we go back and share them with other people? Because it's amazing what happens when they get shared. Oh, I- Absolutely. And I so identify with that because I actually didn't have grandparents growing up. My mom was an orphan. And so I always, you know, her being an orphan and her not even knowing her parents so deeply affected the way that she raised me. We have to celebrate that. And it's so true. We lost that art of storytelling in families that get passed generation to generation. And we've got to change that, you know, and you are. (laughs) That's your work, isn't it? Well, I think the biggest thing, even with that, you were just making me think is the, is it's the sadness of it. I think a lot of people don't share things because they're sad things. Like I've heard stories of people who are willing to share, like a lot of my talks when I give talks and when we do the workshops and stuff, it's almost like therapy for a lot of people. It feels like coaching, like life coaching, basically like therapy. And a lot of times you hear things like I had three miscarriages and I didn't know that my mom had until I did. And I didn't know that my grandmother before her had five, like I didn't, but like in this one family, there were like 15 miscarriages that had happened between three generations. But if you had shared that, you'd have the history, even it's like breast cancer in families. Mm -hmm. If you shared these things and you didn't hide them from people, we get a chance to learn from them and grow from them. Now we're actually finally talking about miscarriage. We're talking about 
cancer. And we're talking about all these things that pe- before people were like, well, she died. And they're like, how? And then, well, natural causes. She had breast cancer. Like that's how she died. Like, right. We can't share that because it's about the boobs. So let's not share that. Like, <laughs> but now we're starting to be more willing to share it. And it's still really hard for people. It's still hard for people because they're like, oh, well, now what are people going to think about me that I can't do this? And that's still happening. But mm-hmm. if we take the stigma away from all of the bad things, we get to share it. And we also get to grow from it at the same time. Yeah. And then you end up in the good, like it becomes any challenges or trauma or something like that becomes a tool, a vessel for improvement, but you can't get better if you don't face it. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so true. What are you doing now? Obviously the world's a little inside out inverted. Tell us about some of the things that you're doing. One of them, which I love is how to not look goofy on Zoom. Well, the How to Not Be Weird on Zoom is a free program that I did because when COVID started and everyone started going online, I was like, oh, can someone please fix it? Like, please fix it. So I just did a free webinar because I'm like, here's all the tools. Just take them and go do something with them. There's not like a follow-up plan. I'm not going to send you tons of emails to get into my program. We'll just fix it. Yeah. So after doing that, we set up a challenge called the 90-Day Challenge, which is Speak with Confidence 90-Day Challenge, which is a precursor to our in-person retreat, which after two cancellations, we are doing again this year in person. So we're, um, we have an in-person retreat where we do three days, four nights of like solid speaker training after six weeks of an online course, which you can also do as a 90-day challenge, which we have online group coaching and all that stuff. But then I actually just launched this year, which I only talk about, I don't share marketing wise, is a thing called the one-on-one immersive experience. So it's even a bigger thing. So you can start at a hundred bucks if you want to do the online course and just rock and roll and get the workbook and all that stuff. Or you can go to the ends of the earth with me and like do this really cool weekend where because of COVID, I couldn't see anyone for a year. And I was like, I speak. It's my full-time job is speaking. How do I do this on Zoom? I don't want to do Zoom. And so what I did is I created a weekend experience for someone to come for three nights and two days to literally spend 10 to 12 hours per day with me working on writing, crafting, and delivering their talk and walk in without a talk, walk out with a fully practiced and delivered talk. So being able to create an immersive experience for one person has been really, really cool, especially since it can be so custom to one person instead of lots of people. Oh, yeah. And so this challenging time that we've been in, this must've been really hard for you because you're so used to being on stage and connecting with people and looking at the whites of their eyes, as my dad used to say. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That must've been like a a heavy blow to go through this during this time. It was. And I think it, it, I mean, if I look back on it, there was a lot of good that came out of it. The part, the hardest part has been the human connection because I mean, like I said, I'm an introvert, so I need I need my own recharge time, but when I'm not around other people, I lose momentum and I lose energy and I have a hard time getting that energy back. So one of the things that I really had to do this year was really make sure that I connected like one-on-one with people because that's my favorite way of connecting is small groups, one-on-one, something I can control because that's how my, my energy works. But since I couldn't do big stages, I had to do Zoom speaking this year, which was really tough. And so getting really clear on exactly how I wanted to have it be done, not the way that they were like, oh, well, we're doing a Zoom webinar. And I was like, so I can't see anyone. I have to talk to myself for an hour. That's not fun. No, thank you. And being really clear, it's almost like being a celebrity and being like, I don't want any peanut M&Ms in my dressing room. Thank you. (laughs) But it's that idea that's like, how can I 
get what I need and I want to see people on screen. So I started even giving away spots in my course for people who are super engaged and on video on my talks. Cause I'm like, I'll give you guys whatever you want to just please let me hang out with you yeah. <laughs> and see you laugh and see you cry and see you do the work with me. So being able to be a little bit more controlled with how I do that has been really cool because talking to a dark room is no fun. <laughs> no, super isolating. What you do so well is that you took this bad thing and you made it a good thing. And I think that's just so, so great. Last thing for introverts, how do they break through, put themselves out there more? Well, I mean, I had an extroverted mother who made me do it. So don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't pull them into it. That's no to self. <laughs> don't force them to do it. But I think a lot of people get introverts and extroverts a little mixed up because they think extroverts are outgoing and introverts are not. And that's not actually true. It's actually our energies that are introverted or outgoing or not outgoing, like shy. You can be a very shy person. Mm and be an introvert, but you can also be a shy person and be an extrovert. You can be a shy person. You can like, most of it's a recharge time. So it's making sure to take the time to really like take time for yourself and not try to put yourself out there because a lot of us get FOMO with, especially introverts, we get FOMO where we're like, oh my gosh, but people are going out. And then they were like, oh, but it's going to make me crash. I can't do that. I know that it's going to crush my energy. So going, I'm going to go to this thing for an hour. Or I'm going to get on this Zoom family time for 30 minutes. And that's all I can do. But at the end of 30 minutes, I have a way to get out of it and a way to go back and recharge. So I just spent a week with my husband's family, all of which are extroverts. <laughs> so <laughs> really tough for me, but I'm really good at going, it's time for me to go now. And I'll let my husband stay and be extroverted with his family, but reminding myself that I'm allowed to, and it's really just giving myself permission yeah. to not have to be there anymore, not to have to put so much more energy out because otherwise I'm down for two days after I did that with speaking. My husband had to start booking like massages for me after my speaking gigs. You go speak, you get on a plane, you come home, and then you crash for two days. That doesn't help. How are you going to get your work done? How are you going to get, how are you going to hang out with me? What's going yeah. on? So he realized if I got off the plane, got some sleep, got up and got a massage in the morning. I was like golden again. And I was like, oh, how is it? How did I not know this? How did you know this? And I didn't figure this out. Yeah. So taking that time just to take care of yourself. And that's the integration that you talk about. Mm -hmm. Boo to the B word. Yes to integration. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love it. Well, Melanie, you are just your energy, you're, you're just lightness. And I really appreciate your vision and what you do for people. And it's, again, I just feel a very kindred connection to your work because we all, we all have a story to tell and all of our stories matter, the good and the bad. And the more that we do this, I think the better off we're all going to feel. No? Amen to that. Amen. Oh, <laughs> amen to you, Melanie. Thanks so much for being on the show. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for having me. Talk about coming full circle as a mother and daughter. I just loved hearing about the story of Melanie and her mom and all the ups and downs and realness. I love everything Melanie promotes, owning your story, no more I'm sorry, integration, not balance, walking into a room and thinking you're welcome. It doesn't matter whether you're writing a book, presenting at work, starting a company or on Zoom. Dissecting our story and owning our truth is essential to speaking with confidence. I am me, I am my story, but my story isn't about me. Until next time, stay curious and be well.